Murder is not something that we have to face on a day-to-day -day basis. Murder is going on in our community, with babies dismembered and poisoned in the womb, abortion, as well as people who murder themselves, suicide, or employ others to do it, euthanasia. Still, it is hidden away and sanitized such that we carry on our lives without much thought for it. Thank God that regular old garden variety murder has become something of a scarcity in our towns. It is rare for a person in the prime of life to be unlawfully killed by another. Yet, for our church on this Sunday morning past, it became a stark reality. Meters away from church, a few hours earlier, a man lost his life at the hands of another man. First we knew of it was the closed streets around our meeting place and the abundance of flashing lights attached to police and ambulance vehicles. As we gathered to worship the God of life who made us in his image, they were cleaning up the scene where a man made in God's image had lost his life. Being a small town, it wasn't long before someone discovered who the dead man was and their connection to his family. Then, over the next couple days, the suspect was identified and it became apparent that people from our church had connections to his family too. This event is like a cloud over our community, making us question our safety and security. Evil has been obviously manifested in public and we are justifiably horrified. So what does that mean for us? How do we, as ambassadors for Christ in this evil age, respond to such events? We go to the Word. There we will find the principles we need to be light bearers, truth seekers and speakers, and messengers of hope in the midst of the darkness. First, Christ is King. This is the first thing we need to remember. Even when horrible things happen, Jesus still reigns. He's overcoming all evil, yet the effects of Christ's victory has not yet reached to the corner of every human heart. Not even Christians are fully free from evil desires, and so we should not be surprised when we see wickedness manifested. But the fact that such awful things happen does not undermine Jesus' authority or determination to bring his reign of perfect righteousness and peace. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 25 to 27 Christ must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Second, we pray. This is an automatic response, but an important one nonetheless. We turn to the Lord and we cry out to Him. Well, what do we pray? We mourn evil and thank God that He is overcoming it in Christ. We pray for justice to prevail. God gave us civil authorities for this. Pray that everyone from police to judges and lawyers will aid justice. We pray for no more bloodshed. Ask that God would take away such evil from our town. We pray for the family of the deceased man. They have lost a husband, a father, a mate. They are mourning and we, we empathize with them in their permanent loss and sorrow. Pray for the suspected murderer, that he would receive a fair trial. 
Pray for the family of the suspect that they would not be shunned or treated unfairly. Pray for all, that they would all find true life and true justice in and through Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. And Luke 18 verses 7 to 8 says, And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Thirdly, don't gossip. It is tempting to take, uh, to make this news be the discussion topic of every interaction. It's thoroughly appropriate to discuss and consider the events happening in our community. However, it may be tempting to entertain accusations and theories that are not based in fact. We ought not be carried away by theories and third-hand stories that tingle the ears. We have a wonderful curiosity that wants to know what's happened and why, but idle talk and trafficking in hearsay is no way to use that God-given gift. Proverbs 16, verse 28, it says, A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, it says, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Next, we ask the question, what is murder? Murder is the unlawful killing of an image bearer by an image bearer or image bearers. Unlawful killing means that it is against God's moral law. After all, plenty of civil governments permit killing that is evil in God's sight, but that doesn't stop it being murder. Lawful killing would include the death penalty for certain proven crimes or killing as a result of waging a just war. Loss of life caused by self-defense is not lawful per se, but if the killer is not at fault, it is not considered murder. Under the Old Covenant, God had allowances for accidental killing and those who were guilty of accidental killing could live in exile for a time before returning home. Those who were proved to have deliberately set out to take another's life should lose their own life as payment. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, it says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 says, You shall not murder. And in Numbers 35, verses 22 to 24, it says, but if he pushed him suddenly, without enmity, or hurled anything on him without lying in wait, or used a stone that could, not cause, that could cause death, and without seeing him, dropped it on him, so that he died, though he was not his enemy and did not seek his harm, then the congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood in accordance with these rules. Next, innocent until proven guilty. A big principle of godly justice is that you should never be convicted of a crime unless it is proven. The idea that you can be convicted on the balance of probabilities is disgusting, as is conviction based on mob outrage. Under God's justice, it is better for a guilty person to get away with it than an innocent person be punished. 
If a crime cannot be proved, the person should not be punished for it. If the guilty party gets away with it, God will deal with them soon enough. The primary way crime is proven is through the evidence of multiple witnesses. In the modern era, we can have witnesses through video and audio recording as well as eyewitnesses. All witnesses can lie, even audio and video can be faked, but this is the closest thing we have to be able to prove what really happened because all the witnesses have to match. Justice should be impartial, giving each person a fair hearing and not treating them differently based on their status or history. Lady Justice is blindfolded. The accused may look the part of a murderer and have a shady history. However, they may have just been in the wrong place at the wrong time and mistakenly identified. Unlikely, I know, but it has happened before. Proof must be shown. In Australia, justice is slow and expensive. Two things that God says not to do with justice. Yet the system is still robust enough and biblical enough that we can expect the truth to come out in the wash. As a trial is carried out, the truth will probably become evident. So till then, we should hold off on making judgment calls about guilt or intention unless we saw it with our own eyes. That means, to give the arrested man a fair go, we should hold off calling him a murderer until guilt is proven. Words like suspected and accused are appropriate. It may seem like a long shot, but it may be that as evidence is revealed, the case may not be as open and shut as it now seems. I know that if I were wrongly accused of something, that I would want people to hold off making judgments until the truth can come out. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17, it says, The one who states his case first seems right, until the other comes and examines him. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, it says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Lastly, there is hope. Let's say that the facts bear out the apparent truth that one man unlawfully and willfully took another man's life on the streets of our town. What then? Restitution is not really possible in this situation because there is no way to restore the life or pay back the value of another's life. However, the convicted criminal should still receive just punishment. God requires a reckoning, the death penalty. Even if our civil authorities will not carry out such a sentence, this is what murder deserves in God's eyes. Our society is apparently more evolved than God, and will probably lock him up in jail for several years as punishment. Like all sin, murder is worthy of eternal damnation. And this is particularly heinous because it is attack on the image of God in humanity. Not only should he lose his life on this earth, he should lose his eternal life. He's not worthy. Yet, there is hope. God has redeemed murderers like David and Paul. Murderer and manslayer alike can look to God in Christ 
God can take away sin, even murder. No sin is so big that Christ cannot atone for it. Although unworthy, sinners may receive redemption through him. Because Jesus took our sin on himself, even the most heinous sins, and died in our place. He was murdered and received the punishment that is due to us. The man who died and the man who uh, killed, both alike have only to come to Christ to receive eternal life. Neither are worthy, yet in Jesus there is grace for both victim and perpetrator. This does not take away the present consequences of the sin committed against another or the hurt received at another's hands, but this does secure a blessed joy right now and a place in the world to come where there is no more hurt, no more murder, no more loss, and no more sorrow. I do not know the spiritual state of the man who died, Yet at the very least, he has had many years under God's common grace and general revelation. He must now meet his maker, either to plead his case on his own merit or on the merit of Christ. The one who took life, if he be a murderer, has unlawfully taken away something that was not his to take. He has sinned against the Lord God and he must throw himself on God's mercy in Jesus while there is still time. He will never be able to undo this act or to make restitution. But in Christ, he can find a righteousness that he does not deserve and a savior who can atone for the eternal consequences of his evil actions. Murder is a great sin, but Jesus Christ is a greater savior. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, it says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God.